and we were we we're more or less in agreement that the, the title is going to be Jews with a bunch of O or yeah, a bunch of O's and a Z. Yes, J O O O O O Z exclamation point. Today is Wednesday, June 7, 2017. Time for episode number 7 of the Barnhart Podcast. It was another light news week. In addition to the never-ending political kayfabery in Washington, the so-called religion of peace held a few more Ramadan observances, this time in London. Over the past weekend, there were also some terror scares in Germany, prompting the authorities to evacuate 80,000 people from a music festival south of Bonn. There was an attacker at the Notre Dame Cathedral shouting that he was a soldier of ISIL, And a woman in Toronto attacked a hardware store screaming something about a moon deity in Arabic and later claimed that she was in allegiance with ISIS. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, it's a miracle when a day passes where some Muslim conspiracy to commit acts of terror doesn't happen. So is this really news? Um, It doesn't feel like it's really news anymore. Um, And yes, what you just said, a day that passes without something like this is now pretty much more remarkable than a day in which there is something like this. And We're still apparently not to the point where we've reached any sort of critical mass where people are really willing to do much of anything to fight back against this. I did publish a piece earlier this week. It's actually a um, it was a republishing of two separate pieces that I combined together from several years ago, um, you know, about how it was titled Cut the Crap. Islam must be exterminated. And here's how. Um, We have to start talking about this. This political system, just exactly like the Nazi political system, must be exterminated, not tolerated, not anything else. It has to be driven out of Christian lands, driven back into where, you know, its origins are in the Middle East, then contained and quarantined. And um, and then eventually the ultimate goal, just exactly as with the the Nazi political system in Germany, although it will take much it will take a lot longer just because the population is so much bigger. And obviously, because this political system has now had 1400 years to dig in and metastasize and and also because, you know, Satan is clearly backing this thing and and sending many, many uh, resources from from his army to support and back this thing. And also, don't forget the fact that um, as we stand right now in in the former Christian West, people do not have the faith. People are not practicing Catholicism the culture is degraded, whereas there was still there was still a, a remnant, a, a a very thick, strong facade of Christianity during World War Two when we we did what we had to do about the the Nazi political system. That that Christianity, even such as it was in the early 20th century, simply does not exist now. And so that just that basically you know from from right out of the chute that we're going to have to fight a war that's going to be even more difficult, even more intense, and we simply do not have the tools that we had just a few short decades ago before the failed Second Vatican Council, before the promulgation of the Novus Ordo Mass, which has just decimated, decimated Western civilization. It's done more than decimate. Decimate implies you're you're looking at a 10% across-the-board reduction. It's actually the inversion of that. 
90% of Western annihilation. Um, Christians, annihilation, 90% basically have apostatized since the middle of the 20th century and this Freemasonic um, failed Second Vatican Council and this Novus Ordo mass conceived in malice as it was. So that's where we stand. The, the odds, I mean, it makes Lepanto look positively rosy by comparison, the odds that we're up against now. But that, what that kind of tells us, I think, is that when the triumph of the Immaculate Heart does happen, it's going to be all the more miraculous, incredible, utterly jaw-dropping when this happens, because it's going to be against literally all the odds. Kind of like against the odds having 12 more or less illiterate and uneducated uh Jewish peasants convert the world. Yeah, absolutely. And take down the Roman Empire and replace the Roman Empire. Absolutely. And in your piece, something that is very critical to understanding the need to eradicate Islam is defining terms. We we throw the term around Islam, and do we ever really stop to define what it is exactly? And I think you do a great Mm -hmm. point of saying this is not a religion. It's it's a political order. And not just saying that to say it. You actually go into describing and defining that term in more detail, and that's going to be a a theme that we're going to talk about a little bit later today in in, in another topic. But – Yeah, identifying the terms you're talking about, otherwise you end up, if you don't agree on the definition of your terms, you can't have a a meaningful debate with people. Right, you're just just talking past each other, and and you never move forward or make any genuine progress, because, you know, person A means this, and person B means something completely and totally different. Um, And what I cited in my piece was actually Osama bin Laden himself and his, that, I mean, that's what I built that whole piece off of initially. I came across that quote, and, and I actually, years ago, where I saw that bin Laden quote was, believe it or not, Glenn Beck, who, you know, has since, we all know that Glenn Beck has some pretty serious problems. Um, but I, I saw it on Glenn Beck somehow, and I saw that quote from bin Laden and how explicit and forthright he was in saying that we don't care if your submission to Islam is is spiritual. All we care about is that your submission is corporeal and that you are either um, and that you either fully submit to it and then pretend to, to worship the the pagan moon deity, which we all know is BS anyway, or you pay the jizya tax. We, we don't care. We don't care about your soul or anything else. You can bullshit your way through it as much as you want. You can pay the tax and, and get around it that way. We don't give a crap. All we care about is earthly power. That's all that matters. And that the forthrightness in that quote, I just saw that and I went, there it is right there. And it's no less than bin Laden himself. So. Well, and in the history of Islam, it, it's actually in their advantage to have uh, dominion over non-Muslims because that actually bolsters their uh, financial resources. There was a – I forget the exact details. It was, in, it was in the book on Islam by Karen Armstrong where she was mentioning uh, the, the growth of the Islamic empire. And for a long time, that did not allow people to convert because they needed that money. And ah, at, at, at some yeah. at some point, they allowed the mass conversion, and it led to a complete financial collapse of their order because all of these people who were paying into the system suddenly now are eligible as you know dues paying or as as valid Muslims to uh, take part in the social network and and the social services, and it 
it messed them up. And I would, I would, vent, I, I don't, like I said, I don't remember the exact details and timeline off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised if that preceded the Muslim push into Europe because they needed someone to pay into the system. Exactly, exactly. And um, another uh, another point about tax regimes is once you establish a tax regime like this, I'm sure that when it first started, the jizya was a lower percentage tax. And then as with all tax regimes, as they have power, they absolutely cannot resist but pushing and increasing and increasing and increasing the tax rate. Um, you know, where have we seen that? I mean, read the history of the Internal Revenue Service and the income tax and how, you know, the, the American federal income tax um, started out as a voluntary, super low tax rate that obviously whenever you give people this kind of power to do this and they're bad people – they're just going to push it until they destroy the whole thing, you know. And so that's that's the case with this jizya, too. You can say, well, it started out as a low rate, but don't kid yourself. This tax rate, as they as they um, congeal and increase their power, they would push it and push it and push it and push it until eventually the people who were paying the jizya tax would themselves be economically destroyed. And then, as you just said, super nerd, what would that require? It would require that they push into other um, physical territory, find a new tax base because they've already destroyed the one that they already have. They're going to have to go find fresh blood, as it were. So there's nothing new under the sun. What we see going on with the Internal Revenue Service and all of this stuff going on in the former U.S., it's all happened before. And and it, it's, it seems pretty obvious, but people, they just they're so hesitant to see these these connections and these similarities because they want to convince themselves that this political system of Islam is so utterly radically different from everything else. And it isn't. It's the, it's the same old bullshit because it's all the same bullshit. You just have to pull that focus back and realize that Satan's bag of tricks is surprisingly shallow. He really doesn't have that much. It's just that there are these slightly different iterations and tweaks and so forth. But it's basically the same bag of tricks because it's the same. It's the same father of lies. It's behind all of it. It's a conspiracy of lies, and you tell a lie big enough and often enough, people tend to believe it because we are weak and we want to believe <laughs> we want to believe things that that uh, comfort us or that are easy yeah. to understand. Effeminacy, normalcy bias, all of those things, and it's been going on since time immemorial. And like like we said, this is really isn't really news when when uh, Muslims are up to something violent. So let's move on to a real conspiracy, shall we? Uh, yes. During the past couple of weeks, we've received some listener feedback. Uh, th this was prompted from our original discussion of Ariana Grande at, at, and the, the music concert. And somebody said, you need to reveal the conspiracy of the Jews running the music industry in Hollywood. And I made the joke to Anne that, oh, we don't do that because we're shape-shifting lizard Jews who protect our own. Ha, 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 ha. I have – that's that's the whole thing with me. I just get numerous – it's not, it's not a, a complete day for me if I don't get an email from somebody accusing me of being a shape-shifting lizard Jew who is on the payroll – of Tel Aviv or something like this, you know, it's, it's hysterically, it's, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, these, these things are getting serious and coming to a head. And also it's, it, 
it strongly implies at least low-grade schizophrenia with a lot of people seeing these seeing that everyone that they disagree with or that they or I don't know how to put it. Well, I guess disagree with. Let's just let's just say this person is you know this fantastical science fiction Star Trek plot device character. Oh, you're a shape-shifting lizard Jew. You know, okay. What do you even do with that? How do you even how do you even discuss sit down and have a rational conversation with people who are that detached from reality? The answer is you don't. And so I never I never personally respond to any of these things, but it's very it's a very common mindset out there and it's kind of being fed by that infowars, Alex Jones, all of that that weird strange alt-right um trying to cater to the low-grade schizophrenic market which is we've talked about this before that is all despicable playing on people who are genuinely mentally ill and feeding them this this crap that just uh excites them and instigates them and of course raising money off of it well i was going to say it's not just the muslims who raise money off of weak-minded people indeed indeed well said well, in an, another listener feedback email points out that uh, Ariana Grande, and I realize I'm saying her name uh, wrong, and I'm doing that quite purposely. I don't think she deserves to have her name said correctly, that she mm. was raised Catholic, but is now a protect- practitioner of, get ready for it, Kabbalah, just like wow. the just like the dread strumpet Chicone, mm-hmm. more commonly known as Madonna. Mm. And this, again, goes into why aren't you people talking about the Jews and their influence in Hollywood? And we, we talked about this, and it this got into the discussion of why is there such an unusual fascination about Jews and conspiracy theories about Jews. And this, this led to, I, this led to me mentioning a, a guy that I, I read years ago and for a little while and found interesting, a guy named E. Michael Jones, who has this grand theory that uh, the, the history of, of mankind since the time of Christ is, is a conflict of Jews and non-Jews. And he sums it up by saying that, that in killing Christ, who is the Logos, the, the, the order of the universe, that the Jews became of their very nature revolutionary. And so they are a revolution against all forms of order anywhere and everywhere. But I think a big problem, like we were just – like we mentioned earlier – Defining terms is important, and when you talk about what is Islam, it's a political order, and defining why you say that, just using the term Jews. E. Michael Jones undermines his own article, his own point, when he says that you know throughout the Gospel of John, the word Jew means something different from the beginning, where he's talking about a genetic race of people who are the chosen people of God, and by the end of the Gospel, he's talking about people who are revolutionary against God. How about we take the words of Christ himself, where he's pointing to the people who call for the Romans to kill Jesus. He's referring to them as the children of Satan, that, fought, that Satan is their father, and they will do his bidding. Christ makes it pretty clear here. The real conspirator isn't Jews, Jews or Judas, well, or, or or Jews in general or Judaism. It's Satan and the people who adhere to his, uh, to to what he, he what he wants to do to wreak revolution and disorder. Of course, and what I think the satanic gambit is in all of that, in trying to uh, pin people's focus exclusively on this ethnic group, this these people who have DNA sequences such that they are this discrete ethnic group. I think what this is about and the way the way it's clear if you if you go to the the, the old mass, what you see throughout the missal all year long is that 
we, the church, are referred to, and in particular, the church militant, we are constantly referred to throughout the missile, throughout the year, as Israel. We are Israel. And, and, and that's, that's exactly correct. So, you know, I did this Boston speech um, right after I did the Koran burning. And the transcript is available and we'll put a link to it in the in the information. And we will um, and I will also put a link to the video delivery of it, which has been on my YouTube channel now for for years and years. And um, the point of the Boston speech is we are Israel. We are the ones who killed and kill Christ. So when these people send me these emails that say um, the Jews killed Christ, the Jews killed Christ, the Jews killed Christ. Well, understanding properly what the church teaches, that we are all now, the church and the entire world really is Israel. And when we look at the Old Testament and we read about the passion of our Lord, the Jews always have been and were up until you know, the, the fulfillment of our Lord's passion, death and resurrection, they're the proxy. They're the proxy for all of humanity. They're standing there and God is saying, here is this narrative, this, this real narrative of salvation history that is being played out through this one ethnic group. Why? Because if it played out, if, if, Look at the Old Testament and, and how salvation history played out in the Old Testament. If one part of that had happened, let's say, in the Middle East, and another part of it had happened in Southeast Asia somewhere, and another part of it had happened in the Amazon River Basin somewhere, you wouldn't be able to put the whole narrative together. Mankind wouldn't be able to put this whole this whole salvation history together and realize what was going on. So you have to have this race of people. And this is how the, the term the chosen race comes comes into play. They were, in fact, given the very dubious honor of being the proxy representatives for all of mankind and salvation history. That narrative runs through this race of people who are also look at a globe sometime, folks. Look at where this is. This is physically happening at the at the tripartite junction of Europe, Asia and Africa. Of course, right there. It all makes sense. So they are they are a proxy for all of us. And when we're reading in the mass and in the office and, and everything in the church and it, it keeps talking about Israel, 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 it's all of us. It's all of us. So when these people send me these emails and say the Jews killed Christ, I say, well, you know, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. I killed Christ. Anne Barnhart killed Christ. And every time Anne Barnhart commits a sin, Anne Barnhart is nailing Christ to the cross or scourging him at the pillar every single time. If we talk about philosophy, we we mentioned the efficient cause. What, what, What causes Christ to be killed? And strictly speaking, if you say who physically killed Christ, it wasn't somebody named Cohen or Epstein. It was a guy named Longinus who who ran a a spear through the side of Christ. It was Romans who killed Christ. But who on whose behalf did they do it? They did it on behalf of people who who Christ himself said, you are you are the children of Satan. And and like you said, they are the proxy for all of mankind. Christ didn't take on to himself just the the sins of the Jews. He took on the, the sins of everybody for all time. That's who exactly. killed Christ. You killed him. I killed him. Every human being who wasn't perfect killed him. 
That's right. Well, <laughs> that's that's exactly right. And even I mean, and you can even take it a step further in terms of Our Lady, who is, of course, preserved from original sin. But that preservation was was done by our Lord reaching back through time from the cross and holding her back from the stain of original sin before she could fall into it because God, God exists and operates outside of time. But the the cross is even still involved with, with our lady and her sinlessness. Um, And so I killed Christ, you killed Christ, and when I I see especially these Catholics, and there's a lot of trad Catholics, who just are clueless on this point, and they honestly think, after all these years of going to Mass, it's never occurred to them, it has never occurred to them that, that, that they're culpable, and Israel means you, and... Uh, it, it's just really stunning to me. You look at the Old Testament and it's it's very clear what's happening. You know, Israel or, you know, God's who who the covenant is is applying to just keeps increasing. The circle just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bitter, bigger. It starts with Adam and Eve and, you know, then it expands to Noah and then it expands to Moses, Abraham, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until finally you get in the fullness of time to our Lord incarnate, and now it's everybody. And that's the point. And that's why, you know, for example, there was a conflict between uh, St. Peter and St. Paul, because St. Peter was kind of, he was telling people that they first needed to convert to Judaism and be circumcised and then convert to to Christianity, to Catholicism, to the church. And St. Paul said, no, 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 no. See, the whole thing, it's, it's global now. It's universal. It's on the whole. It is the Catholic church. It's everybody. The old covenant, that's, that's done. That's finished. You don't have to convert to Judaism because technically, after our Lord's salvific work is done in his past, passion, death, and resurrection— Judaism qua Judaism doesn't even exist anymore. It is it is absorbed and subsumed into the church. And Judaism is the is salvation history before our, before our Lord's our Lord's work on the cross. That's what it is. And so this is this is another interesting point that people get very awkward and don't want to talk about and they just don't understand how to deal with contemporary Judaism. What we have to tell these people, what we have to do is we have to preach the gospel to them, baptize them and get them into the church just like everybody else. And you don't do that by lying to them and telling them that Judaism qua Judaism still exists as as a religion. It doesn't. Judaism is what's called Judaism now or Talmudic Judaism or whatever you want to call it. It is it is a false religion, obviously, and it is one of the most severely decrepit false religions there is because it is a religion that has no sacrifice. The essence of any religion is sacrifice. And, you know, this what we'll call in quotes Judaism today is a religion that has no sacrifice. And so it is it's completely empty. 
And if you talk to people who go to, you know, moderate uh, synagogues and so forth today and are trying to be, quote unquote, Jews, um, you know, they'll tell you anecdotes and stories like, well, when my mother died, I asked the rabbi, rabbi, what what happens to us when we die? And the answer comes back. Oh, we have absolutely no idea. Or you ask rabbi, what is the meaning of life? And the rabbi comes back and says, oh, we have absolutely no idea. And, you know, at this point, it's so late in the game that most a lot of rabbis now, not super orthodox, but a lot of just what you'd call contemporary Western middle class uh, Jews who actually go to these temples and so forth. Most of them don't even believe in God. Most of the rabbis don't even believe in God. The vast majority of ethnic Jews today all over the world, including in Israel, do not believe in God. And I have been told this by by numerous Jews who, you know, when I talk to them and I query them, they say, you know, do, you, do you actually believe in God? And I go, absolutely not. This is this is an ethnicity. Again, what an interesting thing. It's a it's a political thing, especially in Israel and in, in the, the Middle East today. It's a political system. It's a political ideology. Certainly. I'm not I'm not going to deny that, of course. The question is, what do we need to do with these people? What what is our what should be our um, response to ethnically Jewish people who are both observant and non-observant? What should we be doing? Exactly the same thing as we do with every other human being on the face of this planet. We should be going to them, proselytizing, um, preaching the gospel to them, baptizing them, and bringing them into the church just like everyone else. This notion that they have some special status and they don't need to do anything and and the old covenant is, is still fully in force and they don't need to be baptized and they don't need Jesus Christ to be saved. This is completely false. And anyone who says any of that nonsense is either just terminally stupid, terminally ignorant, or is malignant and evil and is someone who is who is trying to keep people out of the church and trying to keep people from being saved. And anybody who is saying that, talking about what's on the Catholic calendar this week, is ignoring what was the very first thing that happened at the birth of the church, uh, at, at the original Pentecost, was preaching to the Jews. And uh, St. Peter uh, personally baptized over 3,000 people that day. The church started with the Jews. And throughout history, up until uh, at least 50 years ago, a common... Uh, theme was preaching to the Jews. Uh, in some cases, some of the more successful preachers would, would walk into a, a uh, synagogue to debate with the, the rabbis and, and the doctors and end up converting the entire body of, of people there and, and end up converting it to uh, the synagogue becomes a church. And I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the, of the Spanish saint who it was said of him that a, a day that went by when he didn't uh, perform a miracle was itself a miracle. He mm. one of one of his one of his special um, marks was that he, he converted, um, I want to say, on the order of 50,000 Jews during his lifetime to the Catholic faith. And these weren't just nominal. Yeah. OK, fine. I'm going to say I'm 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 uh, Catholic now, but they were authentic conversions. Uh, give me some time. I'll remember who this was. Well, you can you can even look it up while while I make the next point. Um a couple things. First, this whole business of assigning intrinsic, irredeemable evil to people based on their genetic code is it's 
insane. It's absolutely insane. And just going with that premise that these people are, that Jews are evil because of their DNA. First of all, what are you, do you and your decisions and your life as you sit there today, do you blame and attribute everything to who your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, your 14th degree great grandparents are? Well, sitting here, I've I've had a very clear sense since I was a small child that I am not um, existentially the same as my parents. They made their decisions. They lived their lives. And I am personally responsible for my decisions and my life. And I will stand before Christ at my particular judgment alone, naked and alone, as we all will. And I won't be able... Christ will not be able to to look at me and say, well, Anne, you committed this sin, this sin, this sin. And I'm going to stand there and say, well, my parents were this and my parents did that. Or my 14th degree great grandfather did that. I mean, that, that's this is this is ridiculous. Also, it bears mentioning that if DNA determines these things and we can sort humanity by genetic code, what possible sense does the Great Commission make? Why, why would our Lord tell us to go and, and evangelize the entire world and every creature therein if there are, in fact, these people who, by virtue of their DNA sequence, are irredeemable, unsavable, whatever you want to call it? So it's, it's such a shallow, shallow argument, but, you know, shallow, shallowness of thought and a lack of nuanced thought is just, it's kind of the hallmark of our contemporary culture. And for, um, for traditional Catholics to not get this, I, I have to say, yeah. have, have you ever been to a solemn mass? And for anybody who's not been to a solemn mass, it, it's been described more than once as a compression of the history of time forward and backwards in, into one ceremony. And obviously, you've been to a to a solemn mass before. There, at, at the, at the it's, it's at the beginning of, of the offertory. The subdeacon who symbolically stands in place of, of the nation of Israel, at the at the time of the beginning of the sacrifice in the mass, he holds the paten in front of his eyes, symbolizing the rejection of of, of Christ by the high priest and uh, and uh, of the Jewish people at the time who. They're making that rejection not because of their DNA, but because they have essentially sold themselves to Satan at this point. And mm -hmm. therefore, they are blinded. And this is symbolically shown by the, the subdeacon showing, holding the patent in front of his eyes. And he does this until the, the end of uh, – until, until the minor elevation, which symbolizes uh, the end of time when Christ returns. Well, where is the deacon during this whole time? He is symbolizing the Gentile people of, of the north. Mm -hmm. And during, from the beginning of the offer, offertory till the till the um, till the minor elevation, he is standing a step higher than than the subdeacon, symbolizing right. symbolizing that that they accepted Christ, they are taking part in the church. But what happens after that that uh, final the, the the minor elevation, which is symbolizing the end of time, the deacon and subdeacon uh, now stand on the same level. The deacon removes the 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 patent they are no longer blinded and this is a reference to the future when the jews will be converted and our true brotherhood uh, as as sons of god will be realized because we will all have the same faith at that point exactly and you know i've said for years and i don't i don't know if i've ever written this up but i'll say it here and then at some point hopefully in the near future i'll write it up 
the way to evangelize the Jews is through the Mass and the liturgy, but not the Novus Ordo Mass. It, it's got to be the old Mass, a traditional rite, or divine liturgy, both of them. I mean, there sometimes the divine liturgy, it, it is even more profoundly visible and, and confrontational that, wow, this really looks like ancient Judaism, even even the the garments that they wear in the Eastern Rites. If you watch the movie The Passion of the Christ and you look at the the garments that the San the Sanhedrin are wearing, those big kind of high collared um, capes that they're wearing, you go to a divine liturgy that has traditional vestments, and they're wearing almost exactly the same thing. Um, most of the priests are bearded, so they even resemble, the, the resemblance there is just incredible. But back to your point about, you know, the, the Western, the, the Roman rite and so forth. Do you guys, I, I mean, I, I know that there's still a lot of folks out there listening who have probably never been to an old mass yet, because I'm getting, you know, I'm getting a steady stream of emails from people saying, Anne, can you please tell me, here's where I live. Can you show me where the closest place to go is? There's a lot of people out there that are interested, both people who are in the church, uh, in the Novus Ordo right now, and people who are who are outside of the church and are looking to convert. Tremendous interest that I'm seeing. After what Super Nerd just explained, do you see how much has been taken away from you? Do you see how much the Novus Ordo Mass, this new Protestantized Freemasonic construct trying to appeal to everybody, touchy-feely. I mean, there, I think most Novus Ordoites have never seen a Mass that had a deacon. And they don't even, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe there even exist subdeacons in the Novus Ordo, even at the highest highest of liturgy. I don't think there are subdeacons in the, Nov- in the Novus Ordo. Listen to this symbolism and this this catechetical nature of the liturgy itself. You're sitting there watching this liturgy. Not only is this is this liturgy bending time and space and all of this grace is flowing and, you know, all of these all of these realities are these supernatural realities are literally happening right in front of you. But then the whole thing from beginning to end is is a teaching mechanism. It's teaching, teaching, teaching. And if you once you have you only have you generally only have to have these symbolic um, things explained to you once and then you tend to never forget it. You'll always say for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, that means that. That means that he's standing over on that side of the altar now because of this. And then he switches to the other side because of that. You know, the epistle side is speaking to um, is speaking to the church already converted. The gospel side, he goes to liturgical north so that he's facing towards the Gentiles and proclaiming the gospel out to the Gentiles who have yet to be converted. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. The way to to convert the Jews, especially Jews who have been to, what do they call it, Hebrew school or Torah school, any sort of a Jew who knows anything about Judaism, if you just show him and explain to him the traditional rites of the Mass and Divine Liturgy in the church, he should instantly cotton to this, recognize things. Now, I'm not saying he's going to he's going to instantly convert, but it's going it's going to be compelling. It's going to make sense. There's going to be a sense of continuity that I'm that I am that this is, in fact, 
the continuation, and this is all of a piece, and in fact, Old Testament, or let's say Judaism qua Judaism, did in fact cease to be at, at with the, the completion of our Lord's work, at, but it continues on. What the Catholic Church is, is this continuation of Judaism from before. So I'm not, I'm not turning my back on my people, on my religion. I am, I am experiencing and participating in the fullness of it, the completion of it. He is the Messiah. This is what we were waiting for. This is what they were all praying for to happen. And they, because of their blindness, um, and because of, yeah, blindness caused by, by evil and so forth, um, they, they missed it. They completely missed the boat and they were wrong and they've been wrong ever since. And you made the comment that the, that the traditional liturgy has hearken, has hearkenings back to the Jewish liturgy. That's not an accident. Uh, that what oh, we no, understand, what no, we no. understand as, as the Roman Catholic mass originated with Saints Peter and Paul, uh, with, especially with Paul being, um, what was his, his role exactly? He, he was one of the educated scribes or doctors of the law. He would have understood the liturgy extremely well. Uh, he, oh, he, yes. he might not have been a Levite, but he understood exactly what it was. And he understood the scriptures backwards and forwards so that when he, when it was revealed to him that Christ was the fulfillment, he understood how this applied to the liturgy. And he and St. Peter put this into the liturgy that we understand now as the, uh, the Western uh, Roman Catholic Mass. Absolutely. And, and I also, I think we might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but if anybody has read, um, Anne Catherine Emmerich, who was one of, along with the Gospel of St. John, was one of the sources that Mel Gibson used for the Passion of the Christ movie, is Emmerich's memoirs about her visions and what she saw. I do find it very interesting that one of the things that she claims to have seen, and now you're not obligated to believe Emmerich and all of this, but I tend to, and I think that it's extremely interesting. She said that at the Last Supper, after they completed things, but before they left, that our Lord took St. Peter, St. James, and probably either St. John. John or St. John or Andrew, um, probably John, though. And he took them off and he he basically gave them mass lessons and he taught them how to offer the holy sacrifice. And she and Emmerich said in her vision that as she was watching this, that she it was completely recognizable as the Roman rite that she had, of course, that she was living in. And that was that was all there was in Europe at that time. She instantly recognized it. So it isn't just um, St. Peter and St. Paul coming up with this, because remember, St. Paul's conversion didn't happen until years after um, our Lord's ascension. So it's not like there was not mass being said until until Paul's conversion. But in in the early days, the development of this and the development of the liturgy Absolutely. Paul, really all of them, because they were all familiar with with the temple and the the rituals in the temple. Of course, they they understood and they saw the connections. But but indeed, Paul being the academic that he was, um, he he would have been all over this. And that's what struck me. I had read the Bible cover to cover um, as I started doing this when I was a teenager and I, I read the entire Bible four times before I converted. And you, when you go through the Torah, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament, it's incredibly striking how detailed and how insistent um, the text is on liturgical rubrics and, you know, how the um, 
how, and how serious of a matter it is too. And I guess, and how seriously God is taking all this. It isn't, it is you do this or else. And I'm, you know, there's even, there's the, the very famous, um, story. I mean, it's not fictional, but the, the very famous story in the Bible, when the Ark of the Covenant is being carried through the streets and the oxen trip and fall. And I believe it's two brothers, right? They, they reach out, um, to try to touch and and keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling off of the cart. And they're struck dead because of this, even though they were trying to, to save and not let the Ark of the Covenant fall off the cart when the oxen tripped. I mean, you look at things like that and you, you just have to ask yourself now, what is what is the lesson here? What is God what is, why is God doing this? What is he communicating? He's clearly communicating how incredibly important these things are, these rituals and liturgical rubrics and so forth. And it, I just, it mystifies me how I'll, I'll, contemporary I'll, do, I'll give Christians, you another example. Uh, okay. during, during the one time of the year and during the Old Testament where the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, which yes. was also the Ark of the Covenant was there. You've heard the phrase, having bells on. The high priest literally would wear bells on his on, on his uh, vestments because if he made a single mistake during that, uh, during that ceremony, he would be struck dead. And for that reason, mm-hmm. he wore bells on, on his vestments so that the, uh, the, the people who were not allowed to go in could tell whether or not he was still alive because he was still moving. Right. And he also wore a rope. Uh, tied around his foot because in case he was struck dead, nobody's allowed to go back there and get him. So they had to pull had to they had to fish him had out. To pull out him of out there. exactly. Yep. And so so it was also part of the informal custom that after the that liturgy was done, if the high priest didn't make a mistake, he threw a big party because he survived. He got it done right. <laughs> but that that tells us you know that you know people talk about uh, how God really meant business in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's a lesson for us because. In the New Testament, it's not like we have a different God who isn't keeping score and isn't going to settle exactly. settle accounts. You know, liturgical abuse, and we could spend hours and hours talking about this. Uh, there will be penalties for it. Um, the, oh, yes. the, the, the reckoning will happen, and it's going to be a lot more scary because in the Old Testament, you were the priests were struck dead for making a mistake around the uh, around a symbol of, of the Ark of the Covenant. That's now, right. Now, it was just a now symbol. the now yep. the abuses are literally physically with the body of Christ. And if you don't think that there's going to be retribution for that, stand by. Of course. I mean, and frankly, at this point, I would look, if you presented me with a Jew who had been educated, had been to Torah school, et cetera, et cetera. And he came to me and he said, wow, I became a Christian because I went to super fun rock band church. And boy, I could just, I could just tell that the spirit was there. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I would look seriously askance at such a person. How could you be an educated Jew knowing what you know about the Old Testament and the Torah and, and think that this could be so completely out of continuity? You know, what, what is you think that all of this stuff that happened to the Jews and everything that happened in the Old Testament, what that was all leaning towards, the point of all of that is so that a bunch of middle-class Americans could go sit in an air-conditioned auditorium sipping Starbucks, which they bought out in the lobby, while some doofus in jeans and Birkenstocks gets up on the stage and gives some bullshit lecture about, you know, psychology and feeling good about yourself and being the best you that you can be. 
And you, really? That's it, huh? That's it. Now, I'll take it a step further. How about, how about Protestant uh, denominations that, what, what is it? You get together, what do you do? What's the focus of this? You sing, you sing a few bad songs. I mean, you know, because there's almost no one is even singing any of the traditional Protestant hymns anymore. You're singing these horrible praise and worship songs. Again, the, the, the center of the Protestant liturgy is the sermon. So pastor, pastor Bob or whoever it is gets up and gives some droning sermon. You sing more horrible, banal, praise and worship songs collection is taken uh, that's it that that's what the parting of the red sea was about that that really I, I don't understand how people can see this and now let's take it to the final the final iteration the novus ordo mass this is this is a, a nuanced point you look at this mass which is valid it is it is valid but it is illicit and it is banal, it is stripped of everything, and you say, this is the fulfillment. This post-conciliar liturgy is the perfection and the fulfillment of everything that happened in the Old Testament, everything that happened to the Jews, this is it. Well, in one sense, yes, because the host is consecrated, the chalice is consecrated, and the holy and august sacrifice of Calvary is in fact offered to, to God the Father. No question about that. Nobody has any idea what's going on. Nobody there understands it or even believes it, oftentimes including the priest. This is the perfection. This is what it's supposed to be. And then you go see, you go see a traditional rite, either the traditional Roman rite or a traditional divine liturgy. And you realize that, yes, I can say, I can say with a, with a completely straight face and without any hesitation, yes, this is the fulfillment of all of, all of this stuff that happened to Israel, that happened in the Old Testament, all of the liturgical rubrics that are laid down in the Torah, all of that. This liturgy that, thanks be to God, I get to go to every day. This is, in fact, the perfected fulfillment of all of that. And that is how you evangelize the Jews. Absolutely. And it's a, a scary thought that occurred to me as you were talking about this. Uh, I don't know if there was any liturgical decline uh, right before the time of Christ, but in terms of the leaders of, of the religion losing faith, what happened in the Old Testament when, when all of the religious leaders of the Jewish religion pretty much lost their faith? Christ arrived. What right. happens in, What happens after after Christ and all the leaders of the Catholic Church start uh, losing faith, so to speak, at least outwardly, mm -hmm. and a lot of the things they're saying? Mm -hmm. um, we may not have a lot of time left. So let, let's, That's right. let's get with the program and get it right. That's absolutely right. Now, I want to do kind of circle back to what to a, a point that you brought up that we kind of got off track, but in terms of the, the Jews odds. and the, yeah, right. In terms of the Jews and the fact that there are so many of them in not just the entertainment industry, but also the financial industry and looking at that fact, certainly they are disproportionately represented in those two areas and then saying, well, they are clearly to blame for all of this. 
uh, again, I blanch at that. I blanch at that because who's consuming it? They're also disproportionately represented in Nobel Prize winners, too. Maybe they're just good with math. Well, that in, fi- in finance, that's not a joke. Why, why are they, why have they been traditionally in finance? And why have they always been, uh, if you'll permit me to use the word, at the cutting edge for good or for ill of developments of the financial markets, financial products? I mean, it's, it almost goes without saying that it was a Jew who invented um, credit default swaps. It was a Jew who invented repurchase agreements and all, and all these things that those who, who are familiar with my work on, you know, MF Global and explaining all of those dynamics. Well, sure, they're at the forefront of them because they're smart. Uh, let, let's just call a spade a spade. They have above average IQs. You look at them and their IQ bell, bell curve relative to the population is certainly shifted, I don't know, maybe 10 points to the right, something like that. Certainly, they are disproportionately represented in um, high-level mathematics, physics, medicine, um, all of these things. Certainly, there's there's no denying that. Um, but who, in terms of entertainment and so forth, and also the uh, the financial industry as well, who's consuming all this, and who's also participating in it? I'm, you know, Ariana Grande. She isn't a Jew. Her mother isn't Jewish. Her parents aren't Jewish. All of these people, all of these people who are consuming this filth, these are not Jews in the financial industry. People say, oh, look at all these horrible people. They're all Jews. And I'd be, yeah, exactly. They're all Jews. Like uh, John Corzine. Oh, wait, ethnically Italian. Like Hank Paulson. Oh, wait, ethnically Scandinavian. And you could just keep going and going and going like that. So, yeah, they're disproportionately represented. But. Everybody is is complicit in all of this together. And here's an interesting thing. Um, You know, I keep getting emails from people talking about cable and they they still haven't canceled their cable. And this is so terrible and this is so horrible. And Ariana Grande is a is a product of this Jewish entertainment machine and Nickelodeon. But, you know, I would never, ever do anything to support any of this filth or anything like that. And the person has cable. And I, I hasten to remind such people that if you have cable, your monthly cable fees are what's are the main source of revenue for Nickelodeon, the Disney channel, all of the cable news networks. That is their main source of revenue guys. It's not advertisements that they run, you know, with their programming. That's like the advertisement revenue is generally around 20% of their cash flow, 80%. And why these negotiation agreements that they have with these major cable companies like Time Warner and so forth, that is their main bread and butter right there. And so don't tell me that, well, of course I have cable, but I only watch the Discovery Channel and the History Channel and the Food Channel, and I never watch any of these other channels. So I'm, I'm not supporting them and, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boycott their advertisers. I'm sorry, but if you're paying the cable fee, if you are paying to have the tabernacle of Satan in your house, you are culpable and complicit in this. What? Because you're addicted to watching, you know, ridiculous sports on the weekend because you're addicted. You just you just have to have your your Fox News on or whatever it is. 
You're paying for Ariana Grande. You're paying for the gay channel. You're participating in all of this. And then you have the temerity to turn around and say, oh, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. You're in bed. If you, if you, if you want to, I'll, I'll concede the point. If you want to say the Jews are the entertainment industry, excuse me, if you have cable or satellite, you are in bed with them. You are in bed with them. How dare you try to you know, exclude yourself from any sort of culpability and scapegoat exclusively them when you and all of the other non-Jewish people in Western civilization who are feeding and paying into this are are totally complicit in this. That really, really chaps me. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, and if you don't think that uh, your cable revenues or that your cable payments make up the bulk of the minor, the, the bulk of of what these channels make, I forget what channel it was, but Al Gore owns. Uh, Al Gore, ma- yeah, yeah. Was it was it Al Jazeera or was it something else? He sold. A, he sold to Al Jazeera. It was called what was it called Current TV. He tried to have a cable. He tried to start a cable news channel that was just full blown communist. And I think they hired um, Keith Olbermann or something like that. And it was just a spectacular disaster. And, and so, and even that disaster of a network sold to Al Jazeera for a billion dollars. Yeah, it's it was a complete disaster, and it sold to Al Jazeera for a billion dollars because even though nobody was watching it, in fact, somebody oh, I I had forgotten about this. Somebody pointed out to me that on a certain day, my web traffic had more unique visitors than the people who watched Keith Olbermann's newscast on Al Gore's attempted current TV news channel that my audience, dude, I mean, I'm not, this is the point of this is that my audience, relatively speaking, is next to nothing. And there was a day that I beat Keith Olbermann on current TV. Well, to be be fair, a mediocre podcast about Star Wars could do that though. Exactly. Absolutely. And yet current TV sold to Al Jazeera into the what? Ten figures for a ten figure sum. Why? Because Al Gore got in and negotiated with the uh, cable companies and, you know, add me onto the list of basic cable and then we will get current TV. We'll get whatever it is, seven cents a month out of every basic cable subscription goes to current TV. It guys, it doesn't matter that nobody's watching. It doesn't matter. Think about that. Think about the 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 height of the cable television industry in the US and how many I don't even know, hundreds of millions of households there were that were basically paying into a basic cable package. And if you edit if Every single one of those households pays seven cents a month, and that just gets instantly sent to a channel that even no one is watching. That's the racket, you see. That's the racket, and that's what happened with Al Gore and and Current TV. And that was that proves the point is that if you have cable at all, at all, you are subsidizing all of these paradigms and you cannot lay it all off on the Jews because you're participating too. Right. And Al Gore made those tremendous deals because he's a Jew, right? Yeah. Al Gore, that, that Jew, you bet. Well, maybe, maybe he's like me. Maybe he's one of the shape-shifting lizard variety. You know, I bet that, uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Honestly, Prove that I, he isn't. 
prove that he isn't. That's another that's another argument that I get from people. Um, they they send me these emails and they say, prove that you aren't a shape shifting lizard Jew. And I I stand before the entire world right now and I declare it is impossible for me to prove that I am not a shape-shifting lizard Jew, because as anyone who's ever taken a course in logic knows, it is impossible to prove a negative. So you can say anything about anyone and then say, prove that you aren't that, and they can't. So I can't prove that I'm not a shape-shifting lizard Jew, and super nerd, you can't prove that you're not a shape-shifting lizard Jew either. So no, I'm, I guess- I'm a tall blonde, because anyone who's two meters tall is a tall blonde. Okay. That's okay. an alien, gotcha. alien reference. Alien reference. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. The, the grays, the tall blondes, and the others. Oh, mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, we missed we'll our, take it your word. We missed our 40 minute target again. That, that's all right. It was a great show. It was a great show. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we addressed a little bit of listener feedback. Uh, we're going to have to push the why is seven years the ideal length for a mortgage for another week again. That's probably yes. going to be a whole show by itself. Probably, yeah. But that's okay. It's very interesting. Good. I look forward to it. Right Um, on. Any parting words? Just once again, my undying thanks to all the listeners out there, benefactors. um, Got another uh, email that there is going to be another mass offered for Melania Trump. And the, the resolution of the whole marital situation with the Trumps and all of that. So thank you again for that. And as always, just... Thank you for the munificence of of my benefactors out there. And you are prayed for every single day. And the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is offered for you every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So God bless you all. Thank you all so much. And thank you, Super Nerd. You're awesome. I'm doing my best. And until next week, I am Super Nerd. And for Anne, have a good week. God bless, guys. Take care. Bye.